<laughs> no, but I'll censor you. I'll censor you. This what you're saying right nice. now is being censored. You realize? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's gonna be like a duck. Just bleep me out. Like bleep quack, every quack, every quack, quack. Out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Quack, quack, quack. That's. So this this will be perfect. This will be our intro for for the show. And uh, now we're live. Welcome to Ride It Forward. Two hours long because let's face it, you were gonna procrastinate anyway. And also we're asinine and can't even finish anything in the first place. So yeah, that's on me. Just just me, because uh, I have. At my side, as always, the uh, carnivorous, the vociferous, the absolutely inimitable unborn corn. Corn, how's it going? It's going great, thank you. How's how's your day going? It is phenomenal. Thank you for asking. Hyped to do this podcast, so it, it is it is what it is. Uh, and next up, we're joined by none other than the wondrous, spectacular drumroll, please, Annie. Annie, how's it going? Hi guys, it's awesome. I am so glad to be here today. Perfect, absolutely perfect. And of course, we must never forget our in-house expert, the guy who actually gets paid to write, Damien. How's it going? Hey, what's up, man? How you doing? Yeah, I'm fine, I'm fine. Doing marvelous. And also there's Bebop, I think. Bebop, are you here? I'm sort of the answer here. to that question. Okay. Things get brilliant, absolutely brilliant. All right, so this is our first episode of Write It Forward. And uh, we'll be talking about plot in this episode, of all things because I think plot is very, very important to a story. And I think most people will agree when I say that. But the question on all our minds, I think, is what is plot, actually? What is the difference between plot and story? How do we separate the two? I'll throw the ball to Quorn at the start. What's the difference between plot and story? That's an, uh, that's an excellent question. Um, I think for a lot of people, they're somewhat synonymous in the sense that they... Uh, sort of make up the same thing but for me at least i'd say that um, uh, the plot is sort of the the sequence of events um, in a story and more specifically that rather than all of the all of the surrounding things uh, right, right. does that this, sound fair yeah mm-hmm. what say you other guys annie what say you um i would actually argue that the opposite is true i think that the overarching story is just that's the events that happens as you take them at face value the plot is the more in-depth how does this affect the world how does it affect the characters what is the impact of the events all right yeah so we already have some drama and tension here first episode uh damien <laughs> our in-house expert what say you well so in terms of, in terms of plot versus story i i do think the plot is more the well, this event's happening here. This event's happening here. This event's happening after that. This was what happened before. It's just the sequence of things that are going down. The story, I think, is, you know, the intricacies to every single one of those events. Um, the reason that you're reading it, you know? Yeah, I don't I don't just read something because the plot is, like, because, I mean, you know, I can like the plot, but that's not necessarily why I'm reading something. It's like the enriching pieces of it, and I think that's the story. You know, all the... All the little nuances and the settings and the things that happen, of course, the characters. I think that's part of the story. I think the story is more of a, a broad thing and the plot's just the skeleton and the sequence of events. That's just how I look at it, though. Yeah, that sounds reasonable. And uh, it is actually true because Damien said it and he's our in-house expert. So, yeah. The kind of <laughs> <laughs> so he's, he's, yeah, right. He's a tiebreaker. Right. But but next, why, why is plot important, do we think? So... Plot, I feel like, and and this is this is, I personally have a lot of issues with actually plotting things out because um, up until recently, I just did a lot of not outlining and I would just go straight in the story, just straight up pantsing, um, and I feel like it keeps you 
it, it keeps you on track just to have a, po a plot in general. And by that, I mean um, just knowing when certain things are going to happen, when certain events are going to happen, how they're going to happen, and knowing what's going to connect them. Um, I just feel like that that's, you know, that's basically the, the skeleton of the story, pretty much. Um, it can be argued that there's other things that are more important, but, um, you know, telling a good story, I think, really depends on how you present the plot. And, yeah. Yeah, and there's nothing anyone else can say against that, because Damon is, uh, in fact, our in-house expert. So, yeah. <laughs> or, Quarn, do you have anything to add? No, I, I just sort of emphasize that it's sort of the, the cause and effect thing about the plot that really emphasizes what a plot is. Um, so it's, it's a sequence of events, but it's uh, it's mainly the, sort of the, the cause and effect that sort of build on one another. So you have a, something that leads into something that leads into something, which creates sort of the, which makes the, the, the plot in its, in its own. Right, yeah, that sounds extremely exactly. reasonable. Yeah, Annie? Um... I think the really important thing is plot and story have to go hand in hand because you can have an interesting world. You can have dynamic characters, but if they're doing nothing and nothing is happening, then nobody's going to want to read that. All right. So how do you do that then? How do you make plot and story go hand in hand? Um, for me, it's about keeping goals in there for your characters really in every scene even if it's something as small as character a wants to borrow a pencil from character b and then you have that will character b let them borrow that pencil will they not have one you know and even though it's not huge overarching tension it's still there's still conflict it's still moving stuff forward it's still revealing something about the story so something needs to be happening in every scene even if it's something small yeah. Okay. I think you added a great word there, which which was tension, right? I think tension is very important uh, to both plot and, and story, right? Absolutely. Um, I feel like that's tension is something that it's it's very hard to. Well, I wouldn't say difficult because I'm sure people have like an easy. A lot of people have an easy time with actually conveying that, but um, I feel like especially from the perspective of somebody who's actually writing the story, it might be tough to convey that tension because you're not reading it from an objective perspective you're like i know how this is going to resolve i know what's going to happen um and i don't like i know how i feel about it but i don't know how my readers are gonna are gonna right. feel about it so sometimes uh, that's it's hard a, to get such that. a great point honestly i think being aware of what will happen obviously changes your outlook uh, on things uh, and i th i find it hard at times personally to uh, to um you know plan for how exactly a reader will conceive something when i already know what will happen right exactly you can show a scene to a reader and they can be like well this is really making me hate this character because of how they're acting in this when you know how it's going to resolve and you're just like no that's not who they are that's not what i'm trying to put out there yeah exactly 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 so but how, how does uh, plot touch upon other things then uh, in our story things like uh, like the setting and the characters how are they affected by the plot would you say so to me, the plot is sort of the thing that makes everything move forward. Because if you have a character and a setting, you can make for something interesting. But unless it's moving forward somehow, uh, it, it sort of gets stuck there. Uh, mm. so, so sort of the the, the sequencing uh, that takes place in, in, in how 
the story develops. That's where the plot really comes in and shines. And it's sort of this invisible skeleton in a way that when it's done properly, you don't really notice it as much, but it's sort of the natural unfolding of events. And that's when these the characters and the setting really, really gets to shine. All right. So it's like the vehicle of the story, you'd say. Yeah, I think that's a fair description. Cool, cool. Okay, moving forward, uh, I'd like to, to expand uh, on this idea. And uh, Brandon Sanderson, he often talks about his uh, his three pillars, right? He talks about plot, he talks about character, and he talks about setting. Uh, and we uh, we touched upon this, but, but how do you incorporate plot into character and setting? I feel like with plot, you're really... Like, I, those things like settings and character while they do exist independently of each other, without them, I don't think you really have it. Without the plot, you don't really have a story. So I think settings and character need to kind of serve the plot in a way. Um, granted, this is also coming from somebody who, um, a lot of my stories are just are just come from uh, me coming up with a character that I think is interesting and cool and just putting them into a situation. But um, from there i'm usually i'm usually writing like taking a plot that i had the idea for and putting them in there so it's it's usually like like i can't really do anything i can't use this character for anything or use the setting for anything without a plot because nobody's gonna care about it you know there's no reason to write about it without a plot right yeah, yeah sounds fair combining plot and setting because i think that is one of the most important uh, or maybe not important but most interesting uh like uh, things to do how, how do we incorporate plot and setting um so i'd say that that one in particular w- without character in the focus is sort of the, the most difficult combination of everything because setting right. is always kind of stationary so you need a way for for the for the surrounding to to change and to Im- somehow move forward and uh I think that makes it a little bit difficult. Now, of course, through a story, you have the character moving through the plot and through the setting, which does change the setting. But when you remove character from, in, from that in isolation, it becomes a little bit more difficult. But you could, of course, have like a setting that develops, sort of like going through eras, like some of Brandon Sanderson's books, is, uh, as the, the universe develops and then the, the setting sort of... Um, follows the same sequence of events and it's affected by the sequence of events and i think some of my favorite stories are actually the ones where the where the characters specifically uh get to impact the setting and get to interact with it and get to see how it changes yeah right perhaps if there's a war then that changes how everyone uh, how, how the people live their lives or how the people perceive the characters so i'd say that without the character it's it's definitely possible but it's the, the characters uh they're, they're sort of the ones taking the plot forward. And so they're, they're sort of codependent in a way for me. Yeah, right. I think those are some, some absolutely brilliant points. Uh, and it made me think about my my upcoming work uh, that I'm writing, which is uh, kind of political in a sense. So I have a political setting and, and the plot revolves around politics, right? Uh, so in, in that sense, you know, I think they can be kind of combined uh, rather easily. Like you have the yeah, certain certain ideas and ideologies uh, that are central to the plot and the setting, right? So I think that's one of the ways you can do it. Uh, Damien, you were going to say something. Uh, for for plot and setting, um, I would say because uh, personally, a lot of things that I've written lately have been urban fantasy. So just taking things that are are like fantastical in nature, um, magic being obviously the the most um, obvious of those or the biggest of those, and um, putting them into a real world setting is always super interesting to me because it's great to see how those things interact and then how the, how the world, how the world interacts with, um, with the events that are going on. So 
in a lot of stories, uh, Percy Jackson is one that, you know, that comes to mind, of course. Yep. Um, there's like this, like, uh, this barrier between the real world and the, that fantasy world. And, um, it's not like a, not like a physical barrier, but just a way for regular people not to understand or see the direct effects of these crazy God battles happening. Um, like on top of the empire state building. I think that's one of the, (laughs) one of the, uh, one of the settings for it. Right. But, but, um, I, I really like the idea that that's not the case that like, you know, this as actually happening in the real world and people have to deal with this and just watching that go down and like how the world reacts to it, especially mm-hmm. a setting that's similar to the world we live in today, I think is, is really interesting. So that's one way um, I think that setting really, really affects the plot because, you know, based, based on how the public or the government reacts to the certain thing, then um, there can be a total change in direction of the plot. Yeah. Right. You heard it. There it is. Our expert has spoken, uh, but moving on, how about plot and character? These are obviously like the character moves the plot along. That's that's what we we have found out here during this discussion. But uh, can we go into more details, perhaps, Corn? Yeah. So for me, and the way that I tend to write is that I usually originate from a single idea or a concept, and then I sort of develop characters, and then uh, the setting sort of forms around that. So if I develop a a character that would be more suited for uh, a very technologically developed world, and that would be the setting, and then I would sort of originate from my original idea, base that on the character, and then set let the setting evolve from from that. Um, so so in terms of like the character and the plot, I think those two are the, are the most important of the three, especially uh, since they are so so codependent on one another. The character moves moves the plot forward, but without any characters, the plot is essentially useless. And then this, because you can have you can look at uh, many different examples of books that come out that have great plot and great character but if the setting is poor then they can still be have a great book but if they lack either of the other two and have great uh, character and setting uh, or anything like that then the book becomes less interesting and often doesn't succeed in as grand of a fashion as a uh, book with all three or so would have i agree wholeheartedly with that um and i might be biased toward this but i think characters are easily the most important part of a story uh, they're the reason I read the, the, I read things, um, in general. Like if if you got a, a a in my opinion, if somebody has like a weak plot and I'm not too interested in the setting, but the characters are absolutely amazing, I'm going to finish the book. Um, that's just that's just how I look at it. If I can, I think I'm just the kind of person who just likes to to relate to a character a lot, and even beyond that, just understand the character. And if they have interesting motivations and, and they feel unique then they can totally drive the entire story for me. I think that's, that would be a really interesting challenge to try to make uh, a really good novel or short story or whatever, but sort of focus on the plot more than the characters and the setting, uh, or sort of focus on the plot and the setting, but try to avoid focusing on the characters as much. Because for me, I always tend to rely on the characters. If I have interesting characters, then they can carry the plot, they can carry the setting. Ideally, you want all three. But it would be re- really interesting to focus a little bit more on the other uh, on the plot and the setting and try to figure right. out, okay, how can we make this super interesting anyway? Yeah, I think that's that's a great idea, especially for like aspiring writers, because I think like having a concrete and discernible plot is very, very important uh, when, when you start out, because it's very easy to just, you know, do this grand scheme, big story, and it becomes so convoluted and it's so hard to finish and there are so many plot lines, etc., etc. So I think, uh, yeah, yeah, we should probably do that. If nothing else, it would be an interesting challenge. 
Yeah. Yeah. Right. 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 All right. So, so moving moving forward a little bit here. Uh, what what do we uh, do? We have any examples? Good examples of of books that have like a super concrete and good plot. Hmm. We were we were talking about Sanderson before, and I was right. gonna I was gonna say Mistborn one. Yeah. Um, Mistborn one. I think, especially like even for, from the perspective of somebody like of a of a perspective writer, um, just the way he presented that book. It's the first in a series, but it very nicely wraps up the actual plot within that novel. You don't have to continue. You don't have to read beyond that. So in 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 the in the case of Mistborn. It's a story that can, it's, you know, it's part of a trilogy, so it does connect to an overarching story. And even beyond that, you know, it connects to much more in Brian Sanderson's, like, world, the Cosmere. But at the same time, um, it's still a self-contained story, and it has a very satisfying conclusion. Um, it doesn't feel like it, it's one of those things that is building up to this grand conclusion at the end of a trilogy that you're like, well, I got to go buy the next book now because I, I need to figure out. Like, because there's a lot of loose ends, because there are, but those loose ends are minor enough, in quotes, that the, you know, you can go without it if you really yeah, don't want yeah, it. It's, self, it's self-contained, right? Yeah. Self-contained, which yeah, is, that's the word which I was is, Which is, yeah, right, which is uh, a very, very, very good thing to be, uh, even if you have, like, a, a trilogy or what have you, uh, to have every... Uh, volume be self-contained is, is definitely something uh, Absolutely. And that, that, that's something you can do right if you have like the plot structure clear and that's what you want to do right you want obviously you want even if it's a it's a it's a continuous work you want every novel to be self-contained and the plot structure to be clear and apparent within the overarching narrative right um sorry i was having technical difficulties another author i think that does this very well is uh tamora pierce mm-hmm. all of her books there is you are satisfied with the conclusion of each one and with each series but then there you know she has series that are connected too so you get more of the same characters you love her settings are dynamic her plots are on point her characters are on point and you don't ever feel like you have to read the next book but you want to read the next book yeah that's what we're after right that that's the ideal like you have a self-contained work but you also want the reader to read more. Uh, moving on then, uh, how about personal experience? Can, can you guys talk to me about how you have gone about creating a marvelous plot? So I know that the, the probably the most ideal way to do this, in my opinion, is to structure everything out beforehand. To go, this is the the number or the sequence of events that I want, this is the particular order, and then you sit down and you write them. But for me, it doesn't really work that way. If I, if I structure everything out in the way that it's supposed to chronologically take place, then there's no exploration for me, and I get kind of bored. So what I need to do is I need to originate from an idea and then sort of develop on that and let the plot sort of unfold uh, in the sequence of, of sequence of events that um, develops itself. Mm. Uh, so for me, uh, I tend to just originate with the characters, uh, see where is it, where are they going? Where do they want to go? Why can't they go there? And then let the plot develop from that. Okay, super interesting. Annie, how do you go about it? Um, plot is actually my weak point, but I always start my stories with, I get an idea for a character, and then I sit them down, and usually by the end of my first sit down, writing stuff out, I've figured out at least an overarching goal for my plot, because my thing is, 
the plot's driven by what your character wants versus what your character needs. And um, then I go from there, I figure out kind of what are the steps my character needs to take to get what they need or what they want, and what can I throw at them to prevent that? Yeah, sounds reasonable. How about Damien? How do you do it? I, I always start with, uh, with the characters first. Um, and then I'm very used to pantsing. So, like, even with uh, the main thing that I used to write in the past two years or so was uh, fan fiction. So I would outline, like, a little bit for anything that was, like, a continuous thing. It wasn't a one-shot. But now, just, you know, the, the characters were always what kind of came first for me. Setting even kind of took a backseat, too, because, like, a lot of the settings were real life, which I know you can, and I definitely tried my best to, you know, set scenes really well and um, flesh out the environment a lot. But, you know, I wasn't, I, you know, this was no uh, Roshar from Stormlight. This is no uh, Narnia or anything like that. It's literally just, you know, New York City or something. So um, a lot of the times it would be all, like, all of my effort would be in, into the characters, essentially. And I was just like, I hope this is enough to distract people from how thrown together this plot is. <laughs> um, now, though, I feel like uh, in actually outlining a plot, creating an outline to, you know, this is this event's happening here, this event's happening here, this event's happening here, and the sequence of it, um, it's it's actually, it's pretty tough. And, like, I know that that was not going to come to surprise to anybody, but, like, in an outline, when, um, when, when I'm writing something up, I'm doing, okay, chapter one, I want this to happen. Right. And then, you know, I'll write that all out and then I'll get to chapter five. And I have it all written. I'll be like, wait, what if I want to change this in chapter two or something? Then I have to change all the events leading up to that. And that just compounds to a bunch of different things. So um, it's definitely a, a balance of, you know, driving things by character or trying to focus on the plot, trying to focus on the setting. It's a lot to juggle. It sounds like yeah. we write in a sort of similar way. Yeah. I think you, all three of you kind of yeah. said similar things that you originate with characters. And then you take it from there. I wonder if that's uh if that's something that a lot of uh a lot of newer writers do because we're all we're all amateur writers. So, what exactly like it like is the process for other amateur writers like um like Alloy? What's your what's your process? Yeah, but for... right, I'd say uh for my uh for my first novel, uh, I kind of originated with with characters too. But but this time around, uh the the one I'm planning for for Nano, I actually did plot first. And I, I found that to be easier, I think. You know, it, it's so easy now to just, you know, slot everything in to the, to the overarching plot. You can feel all the, you know, the, uh, the, the individual story arcs of all, of all the character. Uh, you can do, like, the structure very clearly. Uh, so, so I found it very nice to, uh, to start with, uh, with a plot, actually, and, like, have that outline done and then move on to character and setting. So I think there's a strength to that for sure. And I, it wouldn't surprise me that many, if that many published authors did it that way too. Did you feel that doing it that way sort of impacted your setting or your characters in any way? Initially, yes. Uh, I thought like maybe my characters won't be as interesting, right, or as as deep. But then when I started to actually um, when I placed the characters uh, in into into the plot and the setting, I realized that no, I, I still write characters that I really like, that I find super interesting. And uh, and on the contrary, I, th I think uh, maybe the characters were, were even better because it was, you know, the, the, the tension of the conflict was so clear. Um, so it was, it was very easy to, um, to like, adjust their, their individual paths um, and, and what I needed for them 
to to be in the past and in the future as as the novel went along, right? So so yeah, no, I I'd say uh, doing plot first is actually uh, I I found it super super good. Yeah, I think the the structure and the clarity that sort of comes from it are some of the most most valuable things of doing it that way. It's just for me, I, I'm way too self-indulgent in the way that I write, and that I like right. I like developing a character and then exploring the world alongside them, uh, just seeing yes. what happens if they do a thing or if this thing happens. I, I really enjoy that aspect of writing. Yeah. So for me, I don't think I could ever do like a strict set plot or having developed a character arc and then start writing. But it definitely sounds like if you can do it, it's certainly a, a preferable way. Yeah, but I'd, I'd like to counter that with uh, maybe you could do like plot and character, but not setting. And then you explore the setting together with the character. That might be something, you know, that could be could be an idea. Yeah, that sounds like a cool challenge. Yeah, and yeah, I think because that's kind of what I'm doing currently, right? Because I have plots and, and now I'm, I'm starting to have character, but the setting is still pretty mysterious and vague, right? And I have intentionally made it that way, that it is very, you know, it's very soft magic. It is very, you know, unknowable. And then you follow along with the characters, right? And you still get that, that mysticism and that, uh, you know, feeling of enigma. Do you feel that uh, that a setting is is really important to you? Like in terms of developing when you before or when you're writing your novel, how high do you place that on your priority list? I'd say that some some plot points uh, are tied to the setting, and those need to be developed early, right? If you have, uh, for example, a, a lot of, of focus in my story is about gender roles, right? And then you need to have a world where gender plays a role so so that that came early but uh, but then other aspects uh, are, are a bit more free form like the magic system for example that can come later so i think it's uh, you know some some parts for sure they need they need to be uh, developed early for the plot to make sense right in, in the setting but then other aspects uh, they come later and they uh, can give this you know mystery this this feeling of, uh, of of the unknown to the story that i think it's uh, is, is great to to uh, experience together with your characters yeah, that's really interesting because the the way I see setting, I see it as something a little bit more fluid, and I like to to shape it as necessary for the story to progress. So by necessity, I sort of rank it the lowest out of all these things because I I feel like as long as the plot and the character have a way to go and they can develop naturally, and uh, that way you get sort of the the exploration. Uh, then the setting can sort of become whatever it needs to be without necessarily impacting the quality of the story. Yeah, I think that's a pretty fair assessment, and I think most people would probably agree with you there that plot and character absolutely are, are the most important. But 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 we can have an answer right here, Damien. What is most yeah. important? I I think it's character. Um, I, don't get me wrong. I love those big payoff plot moments in a lot of a lot of novels and stuff like that. But when it comes to when it comes to out of all three, I think character is the most important setting is the least important to me um i really like the way that uh you you were talking about how you structure your your newest story as um you as in like alloy <laughs> uh how you structured your newest story being uh doing plot first and then going into characters because i feel like that allows you an opportunity to kind of let the characters grow um on their own organically almost um you're kind of you're like okay what do you think this person would do in that situation here's the you know I, I came up with a given, you know, here's their background or whatever, but like, this is the situation. How do I think they would react? And then based on that, you can have, you know, you can develop the character that way for yourself. And I think that's really cool. Yeah, um, and that also goes back to what Corn was saying about setting and how watching the characters um, interact with setting. 
I think is really is really awesome. Just watching those characters grow, and that's one thing that I don't get because you know I come up with the characters beforehand, and their interactions with the world and stuff are usually something that I already think that they would do to begin with. I've finally managed to. Oh, would you look at that? <laughs> so I would, I would. Um, it's, it's, so I've been listening sort of in silence for a while. Um, I don't start with setting. I don't start with characters. I don't start with plot. I start with theme. Um, we, we were talking about a little. There's a little yes. bit on the server before, but um, yeah, no, I'm I'm a themey boy. I've been doing this for about six and a half years now. Um, and when I first started, though, I'll, I'll definitely say I started with plot. I definitely started with plot when I started, and it did not work for me. And I, I don't do that anymore. Now, now, the way I do it is I always start a story or a project with something that I want to say. You know, something that I want to communicate, you know, it could be, for instance, a political message. It could be, you know, something more about, like, isn't it strange the way, we, you know, it's, it's every story has has a theme to it and in a way a punchline centered around that theme. So for me, like, I'll, I'll pick a story. And for instance, like the most recent thing I've been working on and what I, what I finished today is about Israel and Palestine, right? And so for me, I want to... Like, I want to talk about that, and I want to talk about sort of the irony of it. And so everything else in my story, my setting, my character, my plots, everything is constructed in service of that. That's that's very much the approach I take. That's really interesting, because for me, that is a, that is a foreign way to go about writing a story. I'm not necessarily saying that there's anything wrong about it, but the idea of starting with a message and then developing a story from that it's it's very distant from the way I do it, so I find it super fascinating, actually. Well, so it's 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 also it's, it's very much tricky business, by the way. This is not an easy um, because when you start with a message, you know things. I mean, characters you can do whatever with, but the problem is plot and setting. When you start with a message, it's it, there's a thing I always say, which is that there's a difference between truth and facts, and often the facts of the world don't directly support the truths of the world. That is to say, like, often presenting things in a realistic way doesn't communicate the way that things really are, if, if that makes sense. Like, like there's, there's an example I always give about this. Is, um, so I was, I was down in, in Puerto Rico after Hurricane Maria, right? This was, this was years ago, obviously. I was down in Puerto Rico, and I was, I was bringing supplies. And, you know, a lot, of, a lot of sort of mainland Americans were doing that, too. And I remember there was this one day... Um, when I was, I was sort of, you know, helping to hand out water and I noticed how many other people had brought their swimsuits and, and I found that really interesting. And when I, when I wrote about that later, right, I wrote this story about a whole bunch of people standing in line to take the ferry to this famous little island off the coast of, off the coast of Puerto Rico, like a, a few miles from San Juan. It's like one of the uh, best beaches in the world, right? And, you know, the whole bunch of people who had come to deliver water bottles standing in line and congratulating themselves in their bathing suits, right? And the thing is, that never happened. The ferries weren't running, the island, you know, like, none of that happened. But that story is still true. Does that make sense? There are no facts in it, but it's true. That's so, the, so that's often true. when you... Right, so, like, often when you try to structure around a theme, you have to separate the truth from the fact if that makes sense. So my technique works for me because I write a lot of sort of quasi-real things. Like, I don't write realistic fiction, and I don't write strictly fantasy either. I write surrealism. You know, 
for me, in my stories, irony is the fundamental law of nature. And everything else about the story obeys that law before anything else. You know, I'll have a scene where somebody teleports 600 miles in three seconds because that's what, you know, like, it's the law of narrative a little bit. So, so I, just to pick your brain a little bit about this, because like I said, I found this super, super fascinating. So if I were to write a, a based on a specific message, uh, is there ever a concern that it could get a little bit preachy? Like you're trying to, instead of entertaining, you're trying oh, to... Oh, I see. I see. Yeah, okay, so that, it's great. I'm great. I'm glad you bring that up because that's actually my primary concern whenever I write this stuff. Um, yeah. I'm getting my master's in creative writing and... We, we do a lot of like readings of like short stories and stuff. And literally yesterday, I was reading these two things in the New Yorker. And one of them was pretty good, but the other one, oh God, it ticked me off. It's a story, uh, you can look it up. It's called The Tardy Man, right? And it's very, like T-A-R-D-Y. And it's very surreal, right? But it's also very message driven. It's, it's kind of the sort of thing that I write. But it ticked me off because it does this thing where like halfway through the story, the character just comes like straight out and tells you what the story's about. In that very preachy way, like there's a lot of explicit moralizing, right? Which I find just, you know, insufferable. Like I, I am allergic to the exact thing you're talking about here. So I, I would say like when you, when you write a message-driven story, even, even in fact, when you write a story with a message in it and it's not even the center, if you write a story based on plot and you decide, hey, let's throw in some messages, even in that sense, that risk is always there. There's like, there's this line in the story where the dude is like, Oh, you know, they only save people. They only save money. They don't. Ah, God, they only save ah things. They don't save people. It's all about the money. Like, and he's literally just saying it, like, like as plain as day. You know, and it's 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 disastrously unsubtle. That's that's what you have to avoid because you know the preacher you sound, the worse it is. A hundred percent, I'm with you. So, in terms of the the actual the actual writing, if I'm to imagine myself writing with with, with such a message in mind, but then the story doesn't turn out to deliver that message in a satisfactory way, but it's still a good story, would you consider that a success or a failure? Well, a good story is always a success. But but I would follow that up by saying, regardless, like even if you don't set out to send a message, every story sends a message, always, every time. Absolutely. And so like, even if you don't set out to send a message, you as an author are always going to be responsible on some level for the messages your story sent. So what I would say to you is if you write a, a story and it doesn't deliver the message you want, as long as it doesn't go and deliver a message you don't want, you're probably fine. It's, it's, it's first do no harm. It's the Socratic, no, sorry, it's the, it's the Hippocratic Oath for writers, first do no harm. That's really interesting because my fundamental belief on that is somewhat contradictory to yours because I am of the belief that the takeaway from reading something is 100% dependent on the reader, uh, which makes it very very foreign for me, like I said, to have a message in mind when I'm writing. Writing for me is entertainment, and if the reader decides to take away nothing from that book, that is fine. And if they decide to take away uh, happiness or another emotion, then that's also fine. And yeah, if they love well. it, that's great. But that, that whatever message they choose to take away is 100% dependent on them because each person reads with their own sort of filter in mind. They read from their own based on their own personal experiences and how they feel and their beliefs. And I can't impact that. Of course. No, and, and you're, making, you're making the death of the author argument, and I think it's a good one. But I also think it's, it's, it's more subtle than that because you could very easily, like... In fact, we've had this debate on this exact server where, like, you can very easily... You know, envision for yourself content where, you know, 
sure death of the author, but you read this and, you know, like there is such a thing as problematic content despite the death of the author. So, so who's to be blamed for that? I mean, I know that in a lot of YA, there are a lot of scenes of, shall we say, dubious consent. And it's, it's really not, for, it's not properly, you know, dismantled or, or, or deconstructed and, and criticized. It's, it's uncritical, dubious consent in these books. And are the readers to blame for reading that? Or is the, you know, like, how do we, how do we walk our way out of that? According yeah, to that, that, that is an issue, right? Like, uh, I think we should uh, definitely have that kind of debate sometime in, in the podcast, right? But anywho, I think move, moving on a little bit also, uh, maybe we should yeah, close this, uh, this whole plot discussion. Um, and I'm thinking um, just as, as a, a final parting gift to our listeners, what are some, some tips and tricks you'd say about making a plot good? Um, so my, my it's, it's a bit of a truism, but my, my guiding rule for plot is always that a, a plot is not a series of things that happen, but rather a series of ways in which things happen. And if you keep that in your head, you're always going to get somewhere interesting. Yeah, brilliant, brilliant. Korn, what say you? Ooh, this is a, a good one. I'd say that based on the way I'm writing uh, and the way I tend to skew towards uh, exploring when I'm writing and just having fun with it and seeing where it ends up. Uh, I think it's important to have, still have some form of structure in mind of, of knowing where your where your characters want to go and why they can't get there, and, and let that uh, make up the core essence of your plot. Like that, let that make up the the sequence of events uh, that sort of affect each other. Because uh, through that, you have a, you have a natural chronological order in in which your character sort of progresses through the story and develops their own arc. All right. Yeah. Cool. Damien. For a good plot, I'd say you, you gotta have um, good characters, and you gotta make it feel like it's not just things that it's not just a, a laundry list of events that you had happen. Um, and in in this in this specific order, of course, but like um, connecting those scenes together is so important. And I feel like um, in a lot of instances, that's not done very well. The in-between spaces between big events are just as important as the actual um, events themselves. Okay, yeah, right. I'll, I'll also add something uh, more concrete as a tip. And I'd say for, for new writers, I think it's uh, it's really good to actually base your story on a concrete plot that already exists. Like take Man in a Hole or Hero's Journey or something like that and extrapolate from that and use that as a basis for your story. That will help you immensely when starting out, I think. I'll, I'll actually probably be using that tip because, uh, like I said, I'm, I'm pretty new to actually plotting something out um, without just kind of coming up with it on the fly. So Yeah, especially like if, you, if you're starting out in writing, right? It's, it can be so daunting. Like, plot is such a huge thing. You can make it impossibly vast. So I think it, it definitely uh, helps you to rein in all of that if you base it even loosely on you know existing structures because most structures are already plotted out right and exist and the chances of you doing something original or super original in a way <laughs> are like minuscule right. Nothing so, new under the sun. So might as well uh, base it at least on, on something that already exists, right? Okay, cool. That was uh, that was plotting. Uh, and I think we got some great points in there. I think we really uh, hit the nail on the head. And uh, Damien, of course, uh, he lay, laid down the law, right? Just told us how it's supposed to be. That's our <laughs> resident expert. 
actually getting paid for writing. Isn't that amazing? Like I'll add a, <laughs> an, a, an applause here in the in the post in post. <laughs> Everyone will be cheering and stuff. <laughs> you know, just falling off the chairs and you know it'll be that that yeah it's gonna be that GIF. You know the 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 rap battle. Uh, uh, oh the yeah <laughs> that's the wrong number that one yeah you know the guy just falls <laughs> over <laughs> that, that's what it what it will be there right so i think let's <laughs> let's move on to another segment uh this is already uh i think we've been recording for an hour or so already so so let's uh let's just try another segment real quick uh here uh which sure. is 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 the mystery trope here so i'll just throw a completely random trope at you and uh and I want to hear uh, your take on it. Why is it good? Why is it bad? How can we use it? Um, et cetera. And, and, and this week's trope is Mr. Vice Guy. That is an, an ultimately heroic or good character, but that character is, is associated with an obvious vice. Like um, they, they can be apathetic or, or um, they, can, they can be cowards or, or maybe they're super dishonest. They are nice guys and heroes. But there's something, there's this one aspect to them that is super negative. How can, how can we use that trope? And is it cool? Is it uncool? Can it be done well? I mean, I guess I'll jump in and say that any trope can be done well. Yep. As long, it's, it's, I think with the thing with tropes is that you have to, like, you have to think about it in terms of function. Like, what is this trope doing? So in terms of vice guy, you know, like, why... Why not, not as, not as like, you know, why does he drink? You know, you, you know, like don't explain it in terms of the story, but like, why as an author do you need him to do that? Or her, frankly. But, you know, so, so it all, it all comes down to purpose. So like, for instance, with Vice Guy, like maybe the idea is you don't want to have a paragon, you know, you don't want to end up with someone who, oh, he's so perfect in every way. And like everyone's, see- you don't want to marry Sue or for instance, you know, yeah. that could be one thing. Another thing you can do with it is you can actually use it instead of, you know, examining the heroism, you can use it to examine the vice. You know, I think, I think it can, it can, it can, it can go to bring down a hero from perfection, or it can kind of lift up ordinary people in the sense of like, we're all human and we're all, you know, flawed, but in spite of those flaws, we succeed. So it's, it's, it can bring down a too perfect character or it can lift up imperfect people. Yeah. It, it all depends. It's, it's on about humanizing, is what you're saying, right? It's about humanizing, and it's for allowing for humanity. That yeah. makes sense. Yeah, yeah, that's that sounds extremely reasonable, Corn. Uh, so the heroic guy with a flaw, huh? Oh. Yeah. <laughs> so inherently, I think that flaws uh, in characters are some of the most interesting aspects of them because they make us relate. They provide depth. We can sort of understand a little bit more about why they are a certain way. Now, good qualities can also be interesting, but flaws are more relatable in a specific sense, I think, because they usually originate from something. Now, in terms of the specific trope, I think that uh, having a, a, a sort of a heroic guy or, or girl or whatever um, and have them come across as this this good person but with this one particular flaw can, can sometimes feel a little bit cheap. So it feels like you develop a character and then you create this specific flaw designed just for them that keeps them from being just as awesome as they could be. Mm-hmm. And that sort of stands out on paper for me. Uh, I think uh, I think generally characters aren't perfect. Like if you have a Mary Sue, that would sort of come across as flat for me because the character has no flaws. And if a character only has one flaw, then that makes them a little bit more humanized. But I would still question 
what happened? Like, why, why are they so perfect in all these ways? And then they have this one particular thing that they just can't seem to get over. Now, these can make for some of the so, some pretty interesting characters. But for me right. personally, I, I think that all characters should be a little bit more multidimensional than having one specific flaw. Yeah, certainly. I, I think, uh, or well, Damien, do you want to uh, add something first? Yeah, sure. Um, so I, I agree with Korn and, and Bebo as well that it's um, having having a flaw in a character does definitely add to their humanity and makes them more believable as a person. Um, but it, it also is one of those things where like, because in, in my own writing, I like to, a lot of the times I end up accidentally making my main character a bad person and making the second the secondary character um a much better person or like the person who most likely would have been the MC if anybody else was writing the story um and that's just that's just like a, a habit i had of doing and i i thought about it and i realized it's because i just find the anti-heroes and i think this is like a general thing in media now too more interesting so you know like um the walter whites and the, the uh what's that guy's name from the bill bill butcher from the boys yeah um Shadow the Hedgehog. Shadow, yeah. There you go. There you go. That's yeah. Absolutely. Have you guys? uh, This is totally, totally kind of a tangent, but have you guys ever seen the um, the Shadow the Hedgehog video game for like GameCube? Um, Is it the one with the? I was watching when he's. I I, I played as a kid because like season three, but. Did I watch a Game Grumps episode on it? Oh, yeah, right. And so with the guns. Was... Yeah, I remember. Yes. Yes, 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 yes that one. Oh, my God. That game. Yeah, I played it too. Oh, my God. Ever since Oedipus has there been such an edgy hero. Yeah, right. <laughs> that's, that's true. That's honestly true, you know. It's, yeah, he's the perfect anti-hero. Shut up. Uh, joke. Everything, everything I learned about writing, I learned from Sonic the Hedgehog. That's <laughs> yeah, I think that's a great source, honestly, of uh, you know, inspiration. And, uh, yeah. Such a prolific hero, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Insane. Yeah, all right. But, but I'd, I'd like to uh, uh, continue on this uh, this discussion regarding the, uh, the the trope of the uh, the vice guy. And I think one of the best stories that does the, the vice guy is, is the big Lebowski, right? This is about a guy who, he's just lazy. He's lazy as old heck. He does nothing. And that's who he is. That's like his char- defining characteristic is, is being lazy. But when he actually needs to do things, he does them, even though he maybe doesn't even want to do them. And I think that's uh, that's one of the the coolest way to use like the uh, the vice guy trope. I I think that I think that's a really cool way to do it too. That reminds me of um, of uh, Shikamaru from Naruto, actually. Oh yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Not, yeah. Specifically, Can we ban the word here man. yet? Not yet, right? <laughs> can't can't utter can't utter that word. word. Not nah, the a word is banned. <laughs> <laughs> you've never been on voice with me before right but yeah no the a word is, is banned <laughs> so that's the thing but absolutely yeah yeah the, um, Shikamaru from Naruto is a cool example of that I would say I would go I would go Aeneas you want, a, you want, a, you want a, a lazy whiny hero you go for Aeneas or yeah I, sure honestly, heroes. like Odysseus uh, had his hubris for instance I think I think the thing about like vice guy is that is that the vice only works if it plays into the plot? If that makes sense, like, like you can't just have a hero who is great in every way and also, you know, they're really clumsy, but that never comes up. Like you just know they're clumsy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Whereas like yeah. with, with a character again, Odysseus, 
his hubris directly causes his problem. Yeah, exactly. I think that's it's the best usage of this trope, right? So you have to, like, it has to be more grounded than just, like, here's here's my character. They can lift a mountain and also, like, they they blink all funny when they sneeze and, like, oh, it's real awkward. Like, what are you going to do? You need, you, need, you need something grounded. You, you know you know who's a great vice hero? Okay, great vice hero. Gregory House. There you that's my that's my go-to vice hero there. I don't know if any of you any of y'all watched House. I was yeah, sure. I watched I, like the first few seasons yeah, for yeah, sure. Yeah. It was like it was like I, I didn't know if anyone else saw that. It feels like one of those things. Nah, it was kinda of popular, right? It's like I, I I remember it being popular, but I don't trust my memory on that. Okay, yeah, no, I also remember it being very popular. The first few seasons were like huge, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, it's it's a it's a good show, and absolutely, I think they uh, they nailed the uh, the vice guy uh, trope in that. Now here's here's the fun question: Let's name a vice guy gone bad. What's a bad example of it? Is because you know I'm I'm sure we can come up with a few. Yeah, yeah, but can we do the the inverted? Can we do a bad guy with a with good one good quality? Ooh, that'd be even cooler, I think. Hmm. I mean, I, I, it's almost like it's almost too many. To, like every every sort of heel face turn villain ends up being that way, you know. Yeah, right. What about Snape? Oh, there. Well, mm. Yep. Yeah. Severus Snape oh. for sure. I never, I never came around on Snape. I don't know. I'm about to say I still have my gripes about that. on the fence, but uh. Because like, what's what's the good quality with Snape? <laughs> He's like the ultimate <laughs> nice guy. Yeah, 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 yes, he really is. But that's not inherently a bad quality, right? Being a nice guy. Sure, it's ridiculed today, but you know. But it's it's there are there are good aspects too, right? To being a nice Let's, guy. I mean, like, do we want to deconstruct the character of Snape right here, right now? I'll do it. <laughs> uh, maybe for another episode, right? Yeah, I'll, I'll yeah, write yeah, it down here. Uh, deconstruction of Snape will be one episode, a full episode yeah, we, of this, of this podcast. Yeah. Yeah, just let's let's make a, a Harry Potter special. We should make special episodes for sure. Like Harry Potter, maybe Stormlight Archives, uh, stuff like that. Maybe no, some, think, some A Word series too. Dragon I think what would be challenging would be like, can you find a villain who has that one good trait, but also doesn't turn into a good guy at the end? Yeah, I think right. That's, what, that's very much like what that's built for. Yeah. Because exactly. when you when you said it, the first thing I thought of was Darth Vader. First thing I thought of. But yeah, right. But, but he, he doesn't yeah, really have any good qualities, right? Like until the end. I know exactly. So, I, so it's like what you need. Like is Luke sort of changes like a, him. So so yeah, yeah it would be cool with with someone who is like has this one. May, there must be there must be cartoon villains that love kittens or something. I, I mean, I think there's a lot of cartoon villains who have loving kittens as like a throwaway joke about them. Yeah, right. In a way, but I don't know. I like I wouldn't I wouldn't like I, I would be hard pressed to name a, a cartoon villain whose love of kittens was like a fundamental part of their character. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, no, exactly. That's that's what we're after, right? Ooh, wait a second. Okay, hold on. Wait, wait, wait. Okay, have any of you have any of you seen the new Shira? Oh, I, I've been meaning to watch that for a long while. Okay, okay. So, so there are actually Shira is very good at this. Shira is very good at this. Um, I would say that both. Uh, yeah, I'm outing myself as a full-on Shira fan right now. <laughs> I would say that both, both Catra and I think Scorpia have those qualities. I, that's that's, and, and I don't want to get too deep into it because, like, yep. again, I've already gone too deep. But <laughs> if if you want if you want examples, I think those are. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, I'll, I'll I'll watch that series and uh, and get back Good to you on that. Exactly. Yeah, I've, I've been meaning to watch to watch it for a long time. You need to do with it though. Is you need to watch it, and then you need to watch the original from like the eighties side <laughs> by side. Oh, okay. Yeah, it yeah, made, I watched oh it when I was god. when I was a kid, right? Oh my god! A long time yeah. ago. I'm thinking about like 
Yeah, the, the Vice guy is interesting because, again, like if it's not going to be a throwaway trait, you need to build around it. Right. And it's hard for me to imagine building a bad guy around one good trait without them eventually turning into a good guy. Yeah, it could be like maybe uh, he cares about nature. The bad guy is, is nature loving, and he like they just like go too far, or like yeah, like like kill, kill all humans because they pollute the planet or whatever, right? Yeah, poison ivy. There you go. Poison ivy. Yeah. I would. I would say like. I also. I also think a little bit of Gollum. Really? Like we we get these glimpses of like goodness. You know, like it's very much that I know there's still good in you thing with Gollum, and it turns out they're kind of like. Also, he's protective, like, right? That's, that's yeah, a good yeah. trait, being protective. <laughs> so, yeah. That's his defining trait. And it's, yeah, a good one, I guess. Yeah, I think a lot of the Batman villains have fallen into that category. Like, Mr. Freeze definitely, like, has... The, yeah, he, like, he like, just when wants you to add, resurrect his wife, right? Yeah, it's like, I think, I think you're getting into kind of, like, the tragic villain territory with that. Yeah, for sure. See, like, when I, when I write, like, I'm, I'm really not a fan of heroes and villains for the most part. Like if, if I'm gonna write something like short and kind of funny, like like if I'm if I'm writing to like meet a deadline or whatever, right? Like sure, I'll have like you know a hero named Mister Bad Must, like sorry, a villain named like Mister Bad Mustache, or you know, like I'll do that. But I think if I'm writing something seriously, like I don't I don't do the heroes and villains thing so much. Like I, I I've just never been good at that. I just think it's fundamentally uninteresting. If I, if I can't relate to or understand why a character wants a specific thing, then uh, it's just not interesting to me. Even even in terms of, I know you mentioned like Darth Vader before, but he, ha he had a character arc where he wanted to change things the way he saw it as they would yeah. become better. So so that's a redeeming quality. Same with Sauron from, from Lord of the Rings. Like a lot of these characters become quite multidimensional if you start putting those aspects into it instead of just being like faceless evil. I think I think the other thing too about it is is you know talking about both heroes and villains i mean i know i just said a whole thing about how sometimes the you know the world doesn't well represent the truth but i mean the world isn't really like that like i think we as people like we like heroes and villains because we like being able to point to obvious sources for problems and obvious ways to fix them but you know like i i'm not i'm not convinced that that's that's fully reflected in in the world and so like for me like when i try to like write about issues i almost like instinctively shy away from that it's it's, it's a simplification you know so so here's my question so uh, readers have sort of developed over the last i don't know 100 years so these days i'm having trouble reconciling with the thought of someone creating a story with the ultimate good guy or the ultimate bad guy and it gaining traction unless there's like a super duper quirky twist to it could you get away with writing a story with a an ultimate good guy and an ultimate bad guy. Ooh. Yes, yes, I, I, absolutely. If if there are like other characteristics and other characters alongside that, I'd say absolutely. I I don't have anything against like the the good versus evil trope. Honestly, I think I think it's like it's so simple, right? And sometimes simplicity allows other aspects of a story to to shine through. I'd say yes, absolutely. I I, I could read that. I was gonna say I'm staying close to the A word, but isn't that just One Punch Man? Uh, yeah, yeah, kind of like yeah. That's what it is. It's just one dude, one good dude fighting evil dudes, and then there are side characters that are interesting. And I, I think that's a pretty cool premise, honestly. So going back to the uh, the specific, uh, you know, the, the good character with one vice thing, um, if you have a hero, I don't know how you guys would feel about this, but if you had a hero who... I already hate it. You know, they had... 
part of their. Hmm? What's no, up, go man? on, go. No, no, I'm sorry about that. Yeah, yeah. That's all good. Uh, if you had a hero who, theoretically, um, a lot of their, you know, because any any character will have a nuance to them, have ups and downs, good things and bad things about them. But if you have a main character who, as a whole, isn't a very good person, but, uh, you know, has those good traits to them that make them a hero, um, do you feel like that's that falls into that, that category almost, or is that an entire another tra- trope? If, I don't know if I'm wording that properly. Um, but for, for an example, because, like, the ma- main character of uh, what, you know, the my work in progress currently, what I just outlined, he's he's an addict, and that's how it how everything, you know, cascades. It starts with him being addicted to the certain magical item, um, and then him being addicted to the person who supplies him with that certain ma- magical item. And that's, like, just the barest of bones that I can describe that in. But along with that, you know, addiction is his, his vice, right? But he's also, you know, kind of not a good person. He's kind of selfish. Um, and he actually gets a little bit worse in his character, in his, in his, in his emotion as time goes on. Would that also fall into that same trope as the Vice guy, or would that be a different kind of trope? No, that'd be some. That's that'd be something else. Uh, I'd, I'd say. Um, it's more like the classical antihero. Yeah, right. More, more, yeah, more like yeah. that. Uh, there are a few other tropes, like like jerk with a heart of gold and stuff that are mm. more several bad qualities, but then maybe at heart they are nice people. I'd say like the the vice guy trope is more like they are heroes through and through. Apart from this, maybe one big vice. Yeah, I'd say what you described sounds like someone who's could be destri- described as morally gray, which is pretty much most of us. Like, unless you're he- heavily skewed towards one end or the other, you're just somewhere in the middle, and you could be defined as morally gray or just a regular person in that sense. I think I think more I think people are closer to good than they are to evil for the most part. That's I agree. That is yeah. a interesting discussion. Yeah, that's another one for for a later podcast, right? <laughs> What I'll say is this, is that I think I think it's hard to have discussions about like heroes and villains without talking about like whether you think people are good or bad because people are the ones who you know what I mean like I yeah. I've always been of of the situation that the like the villain in most stories is circumstance. It becomes a question of morality because your definition of evil and good is different from my definition also, of evil and good. Also. So Absolutely. it becomes very difficult very fast. Um, but yeah, yeah especially um, if we I, should I would share different moral ideologies, right? Maybe one of us subscribes to Kantianism, or another one is like utilitarian, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So you know, it's uh, yeah, that's it, it'll be a big discussion. I think most people want to be good, and I think most people would see themselves as more good than evil. Absolutely, regardless of like framework that is. I think most people very much want to do good things. I think that most people see themselves sort of as the the main character of their own story. Yeah, that's what they say, right? That's like the oldest yeah. adage. Yeah, that's the way I write. I think the, I think of everyone, even if they're super evil or super good or whatever, they think that they are the, the hero. So they try to act accordingly. And then they act according to what they want. Yeah. Yeah, there are several different moral philosophies, right? So even if someone says X is good, Y is bad, that is, might not be true for another moral philosophy, right? But that is also, I think, a discussion for, for another time. Absolutely, I reckon. But yeah, I'm, I'm noting, jotting all this down uh, for ideas for for future episodes, uh, for sure. And hopefully, this uh, this this episode uh, will air sometime in the future. 
this is the idea <laughs> but uh but maybe we should uh, should start uh, wrapping it up uh a little bit and i'm thinking the last segment we're gonna do is something i'd like to call what did we learn this week in writing so um so let's see definitely like the whole like plot because i just finished outlining that story so um you know how difficult it is to actually plot something out beforehand um and let's see how how weird it is not to because i've been pretty much writing prose in all of my off days um consistently and not doing any outlining or like uh tertiary stuff besides like minor research and how weird how different it is to you know write prose versus doing an outline um and how you feel like 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 writing prose is definitely something it's like it's almost like a muscle it's like when you're actually writing it uh, and you're doing it over and over again you get better at it and then you you know you don't do it for a little bit and then you know you go back to it and it feels a little awkward at first uh so yeah i'm just trying to get back into that mindset and understanding that writing prose is a, definitely like one of those kind of things where you have to do it over and over again in order to have any grasp of the <laughs> of the um of the craft yeah right that, those are some great things to learn right so Bebo, what did you learn this week uh so i, I you know i better have something to learn because i was in school for this but the thing i learned this week and, and this is less about like you know what we've just been talking about but like one of the things that i learned this week and i think would be cool to share is like the importance of silence and the unsaid in prose like you know we we talk i actually i think i think damien did mention this how like the the moments between the big moments are just as important in a way and so like it's it's important to say a lot but i think it's also important to say a little and let the silence speak the things i learned this week yeah brilliant absolutely brilliant corn how about you so i haven't actually been doing a whole lot of writing but i have been doing a whole lot of editing so I've been going through like the first 70 chapters of my current work. And one of the things that I've been thinking a lot about has been the, the promises we, we make to the readers when we, uh, when we start writing. So from the first uh, few chapters, uh, I've, I've realized that, especially in the first draft, you, you tend to make a lot of promises to, to the reader that you don't know if you're going to make good on later on. So editing, for me, is at least... Uh, partially about going through and making sure okay what am i promising the reader here what am i giving them in return so if i make a promise i'm gonna have to give them something uh, later on and i think that that sort of relates to plot in a in in a way because it, it it follows the same structure of the of the cause and effect and the sequencing so promises super important uh, super interesting when done well and super rewarding as a reader if you can actually fulfill them yeah, fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. All right, and what did I learn this week? Uh, I learned that uh, the true meaning of writing is friendship, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, but honestly, I, I learned uh, I learned a lot about plotting too since I am uh, preparing for, for uh, Nano uh, and I uh, tried a new way to, uh, to outline a novel starting with plots and I found it super, super good to, to start with like having a, a concrete plot and a good outline. So that's definitely something I've, I've taken away and probably will, will keep doing in, in future projects. Uh, I'll probably start with, with having a plot outline. So yeah, what's that about it? Are we done here? I mean, if we want to be. Yeah, if we want, let, let's, let's, let's wrap it up here um, for, for this week and uh, kind of uh, chew the cud on this one. And uh, I, think, yeah. I think you should have an extra, an extra segment on, your, on the podcast called Write It Forward After Hours, where we just keep like talking shop Ooh, that's so brilliant yeah yeah, yeah. and and a drinking game too we have a oh, drinking yeah, game at the same time yeah 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 obviously sounds that's dangerous very yeah but it's very important to a <laughs> that podcast. would not be the uh the the church version of uh <laughs> the, 
the podcast. <laughs> no, this is uh, 18 plus. Yeah, they after say, dark. Say, this is right yeah. forward after dark. They, they, say, they say never drink with a writer because you'll pass out in a bar and, and wake up in a story. <laughs> that's brilliant that's absolutely brilliant yeah but uh, thank you very much for listening not that anyone will listen to this but thank you anyway and thank you guys who were here everyone uh, it's been brilliant great fun at least and I learned a lot honestly from you guys you are amazing thanks you too man cheers yep uh, have a good one everyone and uh, good night <laughs>